Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. This is astounding. So we're paying contractors uh, for a while. It was almost $5 million a day between DOD and DHS. To not. To work. not build the border wall. There's wait, wait, wait. $5 million a day to not build the wall. To not build a wall. Even though they have all the stuff, they have... There are stacks and stacks of border wall uh, panels. There's hundreds of miles of fiber optic cabling. Uh, there's hundreds of, bo- of cameras that were being installed with that uh, that are just sitting. There's no action being taken. We literally have sections of border wall that are done, and all we had to do was plug in electricity to make the gates automated, and that would dramatically improve the area that agents could cover. Couldn't get approval to, to even turn on the electricity. Wow. That is a former high up with the uh, the Border Patrol um, being interviewed by Brett Bear on Fox yesterday. We're spending $5 million a day to not build the wall, even though all the stuff has been paid for already and is just laying around there. And then you got sections of the wall that were built but are not functional because, as you heard there, they're just not plugged in. So uh, completely into Alice in Wonderland uh, view of, well, we just can't have a wall because Trump was for the wall, so we can't have a wall. We're anti-wall, even though most Americans think a wall would be a good idea. And, and virtually every Democrat in the world has voted for a wall and a fence and a barrier in the past. Right. And nobody and Joe Biden's not tearing down walls we've already built. We've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles of wall, and there's nobody saying we ought to tear down the wall we've already got. Which puts a lie to the whole we don't believe in walls thing. I mean, it just, it doesn't make any sense. But no. the fact that taxpayers are paying $5 million a, a day to not build a wall is, well, that's what you get with giant government, I guess. That is unbelievable. It really you is. want me, you want me to break it down for you? Break it down. Do a little beatboxing for me. Can you do that? I can't. I can't. My, my son can. He's pretty good at it. Good beatboxers astound me. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, the Pentatonics is that uh, acapella group, right? Mm-hmm. And they got a beatbox guy. You'd swear there's somebody playing the drum set. That's just crazy. <laughs> it's, it's like uh, it's like Simone Biles. I can't believe a human can do those mm-hmm. things. Anyway, um, here's how it works. And I could throw a bunch of clever quotes from uh, sages through the years, but I'm just going to tell you in plain language. What government is is a brokerage. It is takes enormous amounts of taxpayer money, then it brokers who gets it. They get enormous power out of it. They get a certain amount of the money. They distribute it to their cronies, which returns to them in in a number of different ways, uh, whether directly or indirectly. After they leave government as a great example, all of a sudden they're on the board of directors of something, making a million dollars a year to, to, to meet twice a year. Why do you think that is? Do you think maybe they did something in advance to get that gig? So government is a broker that gets a percentage. And if they can whip up... The halfwits, the unwashed masses, the ideological, the dreamers, the dewy-eyed twenty-year-olds, into saying yes, that team is my team. They're saying things that make me feel so good. I'm going to, <clears throat> I'm going to elect them to office. Not being conscious, you're electing them to broker those trillions and trillions of dollars. They're in. Because they said build bridges, not walls, and no human is illegal. Blah blah blah. If they have to, the politicians, they will do something as inexplicable and psychotic as that report we just heard. 
because it's not about policy. It's about being the broker for that trillions of dollars. So forget what they say. Watch what they do. Yeah, it's absolutely unbelievable. And and we need a wall because we got a whole bunch of people headed our way. Listen to this. Panama's foreign minister recently warned U.S. officials that there are upwards of 60,000 more Haitian migrants who have moved through Panama and are currently on the way north heading towards the United States. She also pointed out to Texas Congressman Tony Gonzalez's office that Panama recently apprehended several people with known ties to al-Qaeda as they were also moving north out of Panama. So some concerning information there. Yeah, we're running a little bit hot tonight. Lay the seat back. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> 60,000 headed 60, toward the border. 60,000. Yeah. Who will be, in large measure, almost entirely allowed into the country, then distributed throughout. Old man Mayorkas, he just came out quietly with a series of guidelines that make it virtually impossible for anyone to be deported for any reason. Nobody's talking about that in the legacy media. Our friends at the Foundation for uh, American Immigration Research, FAIR, just hit us with uh, the info. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, when that 60,000 gets to the border and rushes in, making the past 15,000 Haitians look like a welcoming committee, make it look like nothing, America's surely going to react, don't you think? I don't know. Depends on the media coverage. Yeah, I wonder if Biden and company are quietly behind the scenes offering, uh, you know, mucho dinero and or threatening the... Uh, Mexican government saying, stop those people, stop those, we, t- t- please, we can't handle it, We're, we, our policies don't make any sense, we're afraid of doing the Trump stuff, even though it worked, please stop those people, what do you want, what do you want, you want a, uh, uh, a uh, aircraft carrier, uh, what are you, a new airport in Guatemala, you just tell us, we'll do it for you, off the books. Yeah, well that's going to be a heck of a story, I'll tell you that. Kicking the frijoles. <laughs> Man, that report about the border wall, that I was know. just I crazy. Know. I know, I know. I know. It's unbelievable. And that's one of the things that I hate about this whole uh, conversation about the uh, the infrastructure packages. The another $4 trillion we're going to spend. You know, we're already in the in the red, and we're going to add more trillions of dollars to that. Nobody ever talks about cutting anything. It never even comes up. It's, it's, right. it's a, Nobody even brings it up to then have then shoot it down. It doesn't even come up as a conversation to start with. It's the, the, the great taboo. How the hell can that be? Uh, it's that there's no entity on earth that if it needs more money, whether a corporation or a family or an individual, doesn't think, okay, well, I could cut back on this. Yeah, right. If you're a family that is out of money, you're in the red, your credit cards are maxed out, you're really struggling, everything like that, and you don't have a conversation about, maybe we should cancel our gym membership, or maybe we shouldn't have 19 premium channels. How that we're dare paying. you? It's like suggesting to your mom she become a swinger. I mean, you just you <laughs> dare not say the words. It's just like that. <laughs> it's exactly like that, Michael. Thank you for the amen. You know what, mom? You should become a swinger. Why? <laughs> you know, have sex with all sorts of different guys. Jeez. <laughs> oh, Don't I say know. it out loud. That's my point. That's my point. That was like Voldemort stuff. You shouldn't say that out loud. (laughs) How can the idea of cutting unnecessary, wasteful, redundant spending be akin to that? Good Lord, I've got a head of steam. Let's keep going. Give me clip number 70. This is the former head of the Border Patrol, Tom Holman. Biden's proven again to the American people that he doesn't believe in border security. The root causes of Kamala Harris don't have to go to Central America. She just got to walk down the hall to the Biden administration. There's your root causes, his policies. 
Well, right. You remember that immigration activist, the uh, Homes Without Frontiers guy, who said Biden is cruel because he tells people they should come, and then they get here and he tells them they shouldn't come. And then he, well, he lets them in anyway. Uh, at least Trump was honest and said you can't come and made it clear. I think that's a good point. And one more. Uh, this is the uh, former Border Patrol Chief Rodney Scott in clip number 72. We have nation-state threats. We have terrorist threats. We can't get into in this type of a forum, but they're real. They exist, and they want to come across that border. Statistically, it always includes rapists, murderers, potential terrorists. Every single year, if you look at CBP statistics publicly available, those all exist in who we actually catch. So to think that there's not just as bad in a way it would be naive now you can't say that yeah, that's racism that, that's like trump they're sending us their rapists their murder well they are and a lot of good decent hard-working people too just want a better life like i would like you would but the idea that they're not any baddies in that the the tens of thousands of anonymous covid ridden folk that's just that's idiotic armstrong and getty the armstrong and getty show I don't know if I've heard about NFTs anywhere but this show. And if Sean, our old producer, hadn't been into them, I wouldn't have heard about them either. I just, it hasn't shown up on my radar that much. Do I even remember what it stands for? Non-fungible tokens. Non-fungible tokens. And it can take all kinds of different um, looks. And somebody emailed us the other day that one of Sean's uh, ape NFTs yeah, is now worth six. Uh, go ahead. What about to get into? Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So it's about it's worth about what? Six figures. Okay. That might be true. So I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. So this came out yesterday. So Sean had, and and a lot of people do. So that they, they have like baseball cards, and but it's digital, and you look it on on your computer or your phone, and you pay for it, and you trade it with other people, and um. Some of us look at it and think, I, I don't get it. It's just a picture on my phone. Mm-hmm. Why can't I just <laughs> screen capture that and send it to somebody else? Right. But Because that's not the real one. Um, now, when I make that argument, you can also reply with, well, a baseball card is just a picture on a piece of cardboard. Here, hand me that baseball card. I'll print it out here on the printer. It looks exactly the same. I have a good color printer. What the hell's the difference? And yeah, you would it's... say, that's not the actual one. Right. It's a question of scarcity, but it's also the purest form of speculation I've ever seen. You have prices on something that has no worth really at all. So, but you see the prices skyrocketing based on people's belief that somebody else is willing to pay more later. So it's pure speculation. So Sean had one of the digital apes and uh, he, I forget what he paid for it originally. It wasn't much, but then it went up quite a bit. Um, and I took a picture of it with my phone, and then I said, look, mine looks exactly like yours. And he said, but it's not. Um, okay. You should sell it for like a tenth as a limited edition print, like in art. <laughs> but I, yeah, would I, I don't know. I guess I have to have the certificate of, of authenticity, or I don't even know how that works. But so the update is this. The developer behind the NFT project Evil Ape, that's what we're talking about here, and there was a different kinds of the ape doing different things, smoking a cigar, wearing a funny hat, whatever. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> the developer behind the NFT project Evil Ape has suddenly disappeared along with its Twitter account, website, and $2.7 million. Huh. 
Now, I well, okay. Here's here's the first response on the the, the the Twitter article about that. Reading this article and thinking, am I the only one who has no effing clue what any of this means? <laughs> <laughs> but somebody else replied. Basically, a bunch of people decided that paying for digital pictures with a receipt attached meant they would both get the picture, the receipt, and the guarantee that they had the original image. None of these things are guaranteed or even true for that matter. So the guy, it would seem, disappeared with the ability to authenticate it because he closed down his website and his Twitter account and everything like that and is just gone. That is my understanding of it, yeah. In fact, your possession of the item, in in many cases, was just a link to that website. But so now at this point, my picture of Sean's picture is no different than his, right? Other than him being able to say no mine's an original. You'd have to take his word for it. To the extent that I can comprehend the story that sounds like it, yeah. Huh. If it's not, please let us know. Email mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Now, there are a number of people uh, uh, who are mocking the whole NFT thing, which I have done, um, with uh, you know, with this whole thing happening. Although, I'm not ready to go there yet because... You know, if I buy anything and the guy turns out to be a crook, that doesn't mean that that venue of purchasing. If I buy some uh, 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 L.A. Dodgers tickets today and they turn out to be fake and somebody's a crook, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean the concept of Dodgers tickets is bogus. No, I think the difference is that the NFTs have no intrinsic worth, really. Nobody says this, this picture of an ape on my phone. I just, I look at it. It centers me. It makes me happy. It reminds me of my childhood. I, okay. I don't know where I'd be without used- this picture of an ape. It's pure <laughs> speculation. I don't know where I would be. <laughs> I don't know how it had gotten through my grandmother's death if I hadn't had this digital picture of an ape and a funny hat. The digital ape has been my best friend through a turbulent time. We laugh together, we sleep together, we drink together. It's... And I think there's a perception that the only people, the only reason anybody is interested in these things whatsoever is greed because they okay. believe the next guy will pay more. I used a bad example as you just pointed out because actual LA Dodger tickets haven't, uh, you know, are a thing. Um, 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 but okay, how, back, back to the baseball card then metaphor. That's a pretty good one though, isn't it? If somebody sells me a fake card and then I find out it's fake, that doesn't mean that the cards are pointless. There's a limited number of them. They exist and people pay for them. Yeah, but the, the baseball card thing has to do with scarcity over time, this especially. Is, this is scarcity too. They only printed so many of the apes. There's only so many of them out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose in that way, I mean, a baseball card is not important. Although I know base, I know baseball, uh, like memorabilia enthusiasts, and they really do love having this stuff. Um, Sean seemed to really love having his limited edition digital ape. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm, I just, I still don't see the difference between that and the baseball card. Well, I think I'm not going to buy the digital stuff. I think it's crazy. I mean, I just, but I think it might just be because of my age. I, I think it has to do with the digital ape thing is imposed scarcity purely to make money. Whereas the baseball card thing is legitimate scarcity over time. There are extremely few of these left on earth. Yeah. And it's something people have been collecting for a very long time. They're the same guy who put out the unique digital ape could put out five million of them tomorrow, and they would be precisely the same. Whereas 
Nobody it's difficult could, to explain why. Nobody can produce a brand new 1923 Honus Wagner card. Right. Right. That's it's just that's, it's inauthentic. That's very true. That's true. Whether that matters and somebody ought to spend their hard-earned money on baseball cards, that's up to you, I suppose. It's a subtle difference, I agree. Yeah, and that's part of the whole, that's what Andy Warhol was trying to point out with his replication of all his art, was like, okay, so why is this valuable or not valuable? I made a whole bunch of them. Yeah, I've got I can a... make as many as I want. What an interesting guy. I had not even come close to appreciating what an interesting dude he was. Uh, what's that uh, book about him you recommend? Oh, what's, What the hell's going on, Andy Warhol? <laughs> what are you up to? You... I've actually read several, which is weird. Silver-haired weirdo. And watched a couple documentaries. I got a little obsessed wow. there for a while. Boy, I got to give up golf. I don't have the time for that sort of thing. <laughs> That's why you just need to sit in an apartment, eating Jello, Yes. And uh, reading. That's the <laughs> Looking at my digital apes whenever I get depressed. <laughs> Anybody got any uh, thoughts on the whole digital the NFTs thing? I mean, it's just, I'm trying to get away from just the easy, outright mockery of it, which is, I'm trying to figure out if it's a thing or not, if it's going to stick around. If this is just a weird blip, it'll go away and never be heard of again, or if it's here to stay, it's the future. Well, at least it's an interesting thought exercise trying to figure out what the difference is between an NFT and yeah. a, you know baseball card or what have you. Or, or a piece of art, a work of art versus a limited edition print. Text line is 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. And now, he. Strong and Getty. So one final note on the uh, the Janet Yellen endorsed plan that the feds get to root around in your bank account if you have any transaction of $600 or more, which is just insane. There ought to be revolution in the streets over this. The Nebraska state treasurer, whose name is John Morante, said in a statement released last month, and quite a few uh, fairly high-level politicians have commented on this, quote, this could lead to a tremendous invasion of privacy, the likes of which our country has never seen. Millions of law-abiding Americans would suddenly have their bank accounts open to federal investigators for no more reason than buying a refrigerator. This is simply unconscionable. To make matters worse under this proposal, saving for college could put an American family on the IRS's radar. Costs that will likely be passed on to the public because it used to be you needed a a, uh, a warrant to root around in people's bank accounts. Sure. There, the problem is there are too many people, and I wouldn't be surprised if you put this to a vote, if it might not be, might not be a, a majority or a, a poll. A, a majority of people have the idea of, I'm not doing anything wrong, so I'm not worried about it, so what difference does it make? Which is just a backwards way of looking at, at it. Why would you let someone else look at your finances? Would you let your neighbor, your boss? What if your boss said, yeah, I want to see, I want to see your bank records. I just want to know what you spend your money on. You'd say, no freaking way. Well, then don't let the government do it either. Well, right, right. Imagine a, a cop stops you on the street, says, how much money are you carrying? What are you going to do with it? What are you going to buy from home? You know, and it could happen every day of your life. 
Getting back to this Nebraska state treasurer, he said, my message is really simple. The people of Nebraska entrusted me to protect the privacy of these accounts, and I am not going to comply with this. If the Biden administration sues me, we will take it all the way to the Supreme Court. We are going to fight every step of the way. Good for him. Good for him. Wow, these these are crazy times. Yeah. I mean, between the, the spending and the control... In the intrusions and the, you know, uh, Merrick Garland saying the FBI was going to look into what could be domestic terrorism, people yelling at school board meetings, and we're going to bring the weight of the federal government down on that. Come on. Got to ask for ketchup packets now. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Senator, Senator Scott Wilk, I'm guessing a Republican of Santa Clarita, said, Why was making local government the ketchup packet police a priority? <laughs> That's a decent question. Yeah, that is a good question. People. Have no, I mean, these these stories fit together. People have no concept of it anymore of the role of government. The government is not supposed to do all this stuff. Right, right. Yeah, a country founded on the the idea of limited government and self governance has now completely lost that thread, which is uh, highly disappointing, at least. I mean. And, you know, we, we, we try here, and there are others like us who try, but, man, the masses of Americans. I wonder, somebody ought to just, Gallup ought to do this. Uh, just ask the question, why do we have a government, or what should the government be doing? Make and me just, happy. And just They're have, supposed to make me happy. Right. And have people fill in a blank or, you know, write a, a couple of sentences, then do one of those word clouds and figure out what people actually think. The government is there, by the way, to protect your liberty. That's why it exists, right there in the founding documents. It's not to take other people's money and give it to you. It's not to make you happy. It's not to root through your your bank account nor your underwear drawer. I'm guessing for a large chunk of human history, men took sex whenever they wanted it from women, and there was no society or civilization to really stop that from happening. Then at a certain point, we became civilized enough for a long chunk of more recent history there's a bit of a bargain going on that this is all based on the idea that men uh, are much, much more driven to have sex than women are, is my theory. Maybe some of you don't agree with that. But, um, well, I would I would say it's like all primates. Yeah. The men have to be ready to mate at any time. The, the, fem- the males, rather, the females have a completely different reproductive rhythm. And for a lot of uh, recent civilization, that was a power women had over men, and they could kind of bargain in a certain way for getting a certain kind of man who would treat them a certain way for the opportunity to have sex with them. You know, I just some saw Some commitment, this, uh, some treatment, some something. Some just saw a uh, meme the other day. I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, men are like linoleum tile. If you... Lay them right at the beginning. You can walk all over them for 30 years. Wow. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Hurtful and accurate. Um, <laughs> and then at some point, a certain kind of feminist came to believe that, no, we can have sex with whoever we want, whenever we want, just like men. And women, some women, or a lot of women, bought into the idea, yeah, that empowers us. And I cool. think the reaction of most men was, all right, awesome, cool. Then I don't have to treat you a certain way or commit to anything, and I get to have sex. Fantastic. And it would seem that a bunch of women have figured this out and say, wait a second, what's going on here? 
based on a couple of books that are out. One is a, a novel that was written by Sally Rooney. I don't know if you know her work, but she's written a couple of huge bestsellers about millennials and uh, their lives starting when they were like in high school and then college. And now they're a little bit older in this latest novel. And I thought uh, some interesting things in here, some spoilers if you're going to read the book. The characters, same characters through all the books. It's like reading Harry Potter. Uh, the characters trade in showy declarations of Marxism for a quieter search for meaning. They're deeply curious about religion. Casual sex is critiqued. Commitment holds the most allure. A church wedding is the setting for one of the book's most transcendent moments. A baby even appears. Um, so that was a change. And uh, and um, the idea that the people have given up on that, the characters in her book, but are actually happier that way. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is not shocking to a lot of us, but, and, and she wrote that from her, that's the way she evaluates where society is going. So then I came across this a nonfiction uh, column in the New York Times by Michelle Goldberg, who I believed I called an idiot last week. Uh, she wrote a pretty good column over the weekend, Why Sex Positive Feminism is Falling Out of Fashion. That's the idea from some feminists that, hey, we get to have sex with whoever we want, whenever we want to. And some women are saying, well, I'll just read from the article. Quoting a, um, a college professor here, the warnings of the anti-porn feminists seem to have been belatedly realized by many of my students. Sex for my students is what porn says it is, writes this one professor. In other words, women saying, hey, why is porn getting to dictate what my sex life is going to be? Wow. So instead of trying to please their partner, they're just trying to recreate porn scenes. Right. Interesting. These Gen Z women think sex positivity is overrated, one 23-year-old woman said. It feels like we are tricked into exploiting ourselves. Yeah, that, I think that's exactly right. That's what I thought as I started learning more about whole, the whole hookup culture thing. I thought, okay, this is cool on my end, but I don't understand what you get out of it. Um, <laughs> uh, using new terms for what sounds like old proclivities, the word demisexual, demisexual, which I think I mocked a couple of weeks ago because I didn't fully understand what it meant. I thought it was yet another, you know, of this 57 different kinds of orientations. Sure. Uh, the word demisexual refers to those attracted only to people with whom they share an emotional connection. Well, that's crazy. Before the sexual revolution, of course, many people thought that's what most women were like, because they were. Now an aversion to casual sex has become a bona fide sexual orientation. Demisexuals only have sex with people they have feelings for or who have feelings for them. Seems right. like a pretty good idea. Well, and I don't think it needs to be 100% one or the other. If a woman, a young woman, wants to have a less than fully committed sexual encounter, you know, that's fine. But the idea that, yeah, I'm a slut. I'll lay any guy who looks at me. I'll No problem. This is great. This is wonderful. No, that is not the way to satisfy your soul. Well, it's not and working out. I think out, women are figuring that out. It's not working out relationship-wise for the men or the women. In March, Vox's Rebecca Jennings reported on the spread of the cancel porn movement in TikTok. It's just one facet of conservatism, for lack of a better term, that's proliferating on TikTok from rather unlikely sources, she wrote. Young, presumably progressive women who think that what's sometimes called choice feminism caters to patriarchy and male gaze. I think, yeah, I think women... uh um, embracing the whole we're sluts and we're proud of it thing was really catering to what men want and getting nothing in return. Well, yeah, and it's the second part that concerns me, especially as the dad of daughters, that I don't care if men are happy or not per se. I care about whether my daughters are happy and have lives that are, are, are good for them, good for their souls.
Armstrong and Getty Show. So I'm reading the New York Times book review on Saturday night. It's one of my favorite things to do. It's my tradition in my own little life. I don't cotton a book learning. Um, it's actually the fastest way to know something about books without actually having to read them is to read the review of the book. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a book out called You Bet Your Life. From Blood Transfusions to Mass Vaccination, the Long and Risky History of Medical Innovation. And I don't think it's probably an accident that that book is coming out now, but it gets into uh, some of the reasons some of you won't get the vaccine. For instance, the polio vaccine that when they rolled it out was given people polio, which is one of the most tragic things that's ever happened. You get your kid vaccinated for polio and they get polio. Oh, how awful would that be? Wow, did that happen much? Uh, it happened way too much, yeah. yeah it had li- it had live uh, polio. Uh, what do you call it? it Bacteria? Pro- it was, virus. It was just just it, enough to provoke yeah. an immune response, yeah, but theoretically. It was too much, and it didn't work all the time. And so, yeah, uh, lots of kids who got an, uh, uh, the shot for the polio vaccine ended up getting polio. So, and that's the excuse. Like when we had Mike Slater on... Um, from KFMB in, in San Diego, that was one of his examples of why he doesn't get the vaccine. But anyway, getting away from that, this is this is not about that. This is this is more entertaining than that. I'm, I'm sorry I even got off on that riff. It's a book about the history of medical innovation, and uh, let me read a little bit from it. I think you'll find this entertaining. For most of human history, anesthesia did not exist, which is horrifying to think about. Patients had to be forcibly restrained while their limbs were amputated and their cancers removed typically amid piercing screams and unbearable agony. Yeah, sounds about right. Things did not start to change until the 1840s, when a carnival barker named Gardner Colton charged people 25 cents to sniff laughing gas, also known as nitrous oxide, which made them (laughs) fall down in hysterics and then sleep for a few minutes. Wow. So he'd be standing the car at 25 cents, which had to be in the 1840s, like a lot of money. Wait a minute. That's, yeah, that's a fair amount. Sniff the laughing gas, and people would do it, and they'd roll around on the floor, and people watching would find it very humorous and everything like that. Well, on December 10th, 1844, a dentist named Horace Wells attended the show. And soon after attend, uh, inhaling the gas and making a fool of himself, he told a friend that a person could probably have a tooth extracted or a limb amputated and not feel any pain. Ding! So the dentist sought out the guy who was selling it just to make money, Immediately after the show, and the very next day, he became the very first person, this dentist, to use nitrous oxide as an anesthetic in the world. Wow. He asked a fellow dentist to extract one of his own teeth. Gee, man, that's commitment. And the procedure was painless. I'd yeah. say you're committed to proving something. If you take a little sniff of it and say, I'm going to sniff this grass, and then I want you to pull out one of my teeth to see if it hurts. Whoa, 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 what now? <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't feel anything. Wow, man, but that that predates the Civil War, and I know there's a lot of limbs on during the Civil War. I wish they could have gotten it to the troops. Over the following weeks, Wells used nitrous oxide on 15 of his patients. It worked every time. In, wow. in January 1845, he asked if he could demonstrate his method to specialists in a large amphitheater at Massachusetts General Hospital. The demonstration failed, however. Wells gave too little of the anesthetic to the patient, who woke up during the extraction in intense pain and screaming. (laughs) Whoops. Careful with that dosage, Doc. Members of the audience started shouting humbug, and Wells was disgraced. Oh, they humbugged him. Damn it. So he, so he decided, you know, he's going to be the big breakthrough Nobel Prize. Everybody's going to be talking about me and gather all these 
doctors and scientists in this big room. You go to yanking the tooth out of the guy, and he starts <laughs> screaming in pain. Well, that reminds me. I mean, it occasionally happened to Bill Gates or uh, or uh, uh, Steve Jobs. They come Musk. up for the big presen- presentation. Oh, right, yeah. With the Cybertruck. Right, this window cannot be broken. <laughs> Smash. <laughs> so anyway, this guy was disgraced, and then like just a couple of weeks later, a different dentist did exactly the same thing with the right amount and gets all the credit for anesthesia. But it was this other dentist who just got the dose wrong that one time. The poor wow. guy wakes up screaming in front of the audience. Jesus. Oh, he's so bored. <laughs> Barbaric. Wow, that's hey! something, though. A co- you said this wouldn't hurt. You son of a... But it was a carnival gag. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it? Anyway, wow. a little further in the book, a little more uh, serious. Uh, heart transplants. Uh, when they started doing heart transplants, and it, it, the point of this is the history of medical innovations, obviously, you know, regularly starts pretty sketchy. But, you know, it's the only way we learn and get better at it. Trial and error, yeah. As recently as 1968... There were only 100 heart transplants performed in the entire world in 1968, and half of those patients died within a month. Wow. In light of that record failure, the number of heart transplants in the entire world dwindled to 16 in 1970 and 17 in 1971. It was all but abandoned as an idea. Now, after continuing to try and get better at it and coming up with the right drugs and techniques, doctors now perform about 23 heart transplants annually in the United States alone, and the average survival rate is 15 years. So wow. as recently as the early 70s, it was almost given up on. From half dead in a month to average 15 years, that's astonishing. Yeah, and uh, so you get better at it. But you just don't want to be on the early end of, uh, hey, I'm going to pull this tooth out, you won't even feel it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm game. I want you to try it on him. <laughs> Coming up, the hilarious history of enemas. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to run this tube up you and pump some water in you. No, you're right. not. No, you're not. I'm game. Only you're going to do that before or after you pull my tooth painlessly. <laughs> Only if you can hold me down, you're doing that. Have I, have I told my enema story? Oh, geez. Uh, yeah, I think you have. It was ages ago. Go ahead, take all the fun go ahead and retell it. it. It's not a funny story. Jack's enema story. I don't know. It seems kind of funny to me now. Right after this. No, I, uh, it's short. Um, I'm in the hospital and I'm guessing I'm like 10 years old. I don't know. I'm a little kid. And, uh, I'm in the hospital and, uh, I'm by myself. And, uh, the nurse comes in and just tells me to roll over. And then she shoves this thing in me. And, oh you know, does what an enema is. And I had no idea what was going on or why or if this was a, or anything. And it was horrifying. Oh. Absolutely horrifying. And I don't know if you've ever had one of these, but it's it's not a pleasant experience before or after. It does the job. It cleans you out. But uh, I just, I, I thought, I've never forgotten that. I can still picture the room. I can still picture the person. You really ought to give somebody a heads up, no matter yeah. what their age. Yeah. I'm thinking Jeez, it was... That's just, that's, uh, that deserves a slapping or something. You know, I've had things like that happen even, you know, in, in more modern times where the person that's sent in to do something isn't, like, given any information. Uh, or, or, or they, don't, they don't know that the person isn't expecting... I, I had that happen just recently with my son. Like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? I'm here to do the blank. The what thou? 
No, we didn't discuss yeah. this with anybody. We don't have any idea. And if I hadn't been there, they would have, the nurse would have just come in and, you know, we're doing this. We we thought, I thought, I was just told to come down here and do this. You know, it's my assumption as the nurse right. that you sure. have been discussing this with a doctor. Or they've laid the groundwork. So that's one of the reasons you need an advocate all the time, including now, uh, for that sort of stuff. But yeah, I had no idea what was going on. That was quite the shocking uh, development. Oosh. A surprise enema. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, when you've Normally never been... reserved for water skiers. Well, yeah, but if you did it to me now, I, I've heard of an enema. I know what it is. Right. Yes. It, it'd still be kind of shocking. Like, why are we doing this? Did anybody just And why it? have you not bought me dinner? <laughs> but I've never even heard of it. I didn't know. You know sure. Right. Awful. Anywho. But because of trying that on, like, a caveman... Thousands of years ago, or I don't know, a prospector in the 1850s or whatever. Oh, it seems uncomfortable. Here's what we ought to do. We got better at it over the years, and now it's something I enjoy every night. Um, well, so uh, so a carnival barker ends up introducing anesthesia. Is there anything else that goes on at carnivals that has uh, you know great medical potential? Maybe throwing ping pong balls at goldfish bowls <laughs> cures cancer. I don't know. <laughs> they need to research this. <laughs> what? Armstrong and Getty. <laughs> 